Welcome to Fertility Friendly Food. I'm your host, Stephanie Velarkis, accredited practicing dietitian and nutritionist and director of The Dietologist, an Australian-based practice focused on optimizing fertility through nutrition. This podcast will bring you snack-sized episodes for you to learn, grow, and be inspired by the latest research, facts, and practical lifestyle tips about eating well for optimal fertility, helping you cut through the confusion and myths to take back some of the control on your fertility journey, one bite at a time. Hey, and welcome back to another episode of Fertility Friendly Food, the podcast. My name is Stephanie Velarkis, and I'm an expert fertility dietitian and nutritionist and founder of The Dietologist and your host. And today I am talking about a topic off the back of Endometriosis Awareness Month in March, where we did our mini series. Um, But April, which is the month that we are publishing this podcast, is Adenomyosis Awareness Month. And it is often the lesser known and lesser researched and discussed condition that is commonly co-diagnosed with people with endometriosis, but also um, an independent diagnosis of itself. So today in this podcast, I wanted to shed some light on adenomyosis uh, from diagnosis to management, effects on fertility and what the key dietary aspects of management are. And I just wanted to kick off with saying that one of the biggest myths about adenomyosis meiosis is that it is more common in people in their 40s and 50s and this often means it is missed and not investigated thoroughly in adolescents or those in their 20s and 30s but there is <laughs> that is not true you can have adenomyosis very young um, there's there's really no reason why we should be exclude we shouldn't be excluding it as a diagnosis earlier in the piece especially with um, symptoms but Before I go deeper into this topic, I wanted to remind you that you can download your free Ultimate Preconception Lifestyle Checklist. The link is in the show notes. It is a really one simple one-pager checklist that you can use. um, And if you have a partner, use it with your partner as well to boost your diet and lifestyle strategies to support your preconception health. So if that interests you, the link is in the show notes below. Now let's get into this adenomyosis awareness episode. So adenomyosis is a condition where the endometrial tissue that lines the uterus exists within and grows backwards into the uterine wall and into the muscle layer, which is the myometrium, Uh, typically the back wall of the uterus, but it can occur in any part of that muscle layer. And that is why it's called adenomyosis because of where it exists. And like endometriosis, adenomyosis is commonly misdiagnosed for a number of other conditions, including irritable bowel syndrome, pelvic inflammatory disease, and even perimenopause. And yes, a lot of people do not get diagnosed until later in life. Now, adenomyosis is characterized 
similar to endometriosis with some key symptoms such as painful and heavy periods, painful sexual intercourse and chronic pelvic pain. There's also some interesting characteristics of adenomyosis causing that the pain that radiates down the legs, for example. Um, but that can also occur in endometriosis depending on where it is. So it can be tricky to differentiate between the two. And so during menstruation in particular, where the adenomyosis itself is kind of going back into that muscle wall, the uterus can feel particularly enlarged and it may also be characterized as quote unquote bulky on a pelvic ultrasound or an MRI scan and it may feel tender and and generally quite heavy. Similar to endometriosis, adenomyosis is an estrogen linked condition. So often develops in people in their reproductive years uh, particularly. Um, However, the cause of adenomyosis is unknown and thus we are in a pickle when it comes to treatment and management options because as most of you know, if we don't know the cause of something, it is really tricky sometimes to find an effective uh, and long-term management solution. And now I alluded to the similarities between the two adenomyosis and endometriosis. However, the main key point of difference between the two conditions is that with endometriosis, it's endometrial-like tissues and cells that are growing outside of the uterus. Sometimes it can be within the uterus as well, but not in the muscle layer. In adenomyosis, it's the, the back growing of the endometrial tissue into that muscle layer of the uterus. So it's a little bit different um, in terms the adenomyosis can only be located in the uterus, whereas endometriosis can grow in or around the ovaries, fallopian tubes, pelvic wall, bowel, peritoneal cavity, and much, much more. Um, bladder being one such example that I uh, clearly have missed. So how can you be diagnosed with adenomyosis? If you suspect you have adenomyosis, of course, the first step is to go and speak to your doctor about your concerns. But fun fact, adenomyosis is actually relatively new in the scheme of medical world. Uh, The term was first coined in the 1890s, which is pretty late game when it comes to many health conditions. And definitive diagnosis, much like endometriosis, is limited to surgery. And the gold standard is to have a biopsy and examination of the uterus after it has been removed, so after a hysterectomy, uh, which is probably not most people's first option when it comes to confirming this diagnosis, particularly for those uh, who are listening who have not yet started their families or not yet finished growing their families and would like to carry children in the future. However, there's some other ways to be diagnosed without surgery, which pretty much can confirm its presence. Now, the first step to diagnosis is usually a transvaginal ultrasound performed by a specialized sonographer, Hello Wanda. And this is usually best done by a place that does deep infiltrating endometriosis scans because they're going to know what to look for, where to look, and they're going to be have better expertise at identifying any abnormalities in the uterine muscle layer. Another option is also an MRI, which can confirm diagnosis, and this is useful to look for other conditions uh, associated with endometriosis and adenomyosis like fibroids. 
Unlike endo, adeno is only found in the uterus itself. So I've, I've said that before, so I'm just re-emphasizing that. So a hysteroscopy, which is a, a scope up the uterus, is useful to look at the uterus itself. It may be helpful if there are any fibroids or polyps or endometriosis present in the uterus itself or evidence of adenomyosis to go in and remove those by a qualified and experienced gynecological surgeon who is experienced in doing these types of procedures. So what treatment options are available for adenomyosis? Well, there is technically a cure for adenomyosis, but it is a hysterectomy, which for those of you listening or who are younger may not be an option that you are wanting to explore if you're hoping to carry children in the near or distant future. So other options for treatment um, don't really necessarily treat the adenomyosis, but more about symptom management, similar to endometriosis. So some of the most common management strategies tend to fall into hormone suppression. So things like the Marina IUD or a progesterone release and releasing intrauterine device um, to try and minimize the flow of the period and the frequency of the period and the use of the oral contraceptive pill. Again, similar similar kind of um, vein of strategy. So it's just for symptom control, which may or may not be helpful for any given individual and certainly counterintuitive for those who are actively trying to conceive with adenomyosis. So if, however, if you're not concerned about future fertility, uh, there are other options available. Um, endometrial ablation was previously being used a lot. So that involves surgery to remove parts of the uterine lining. But there have been more research that's come out about failure rates being high in terms of symptoms returning and then people needing to return for a hysterectomy anyway for management. There is also some newer technologies looking at something called uterine artery embolization. So this is a less invasive strategy where there is is basically the the blood supply to that parts those exact parts of the uterus that have adenomyosis are completely blocked off and um, so that is relatively new uh, has been used a little in the fibroid space for small fibroids but I'm not seeing it routinely used at the moment for adenomyosis and I suppose this is likely because I see a a vast majority of people who are trying to conceive and uh, there may be fertility implications but for those who maybe are finished growing their family or don't want children uh, potentially these are options that you can explore with your doctor but I just wanted to give a snapshot of what's out there and available. So adenomyosis is often accompanied by other estrogen dependent benign disorders such as endometriosis about 70% endometrial polyps and uterine fibroids about 50% and also another condition called endometrial hyperplasia or 35% which is typically uh, preceded by um, a history of having um, an excess buildup of the uterine lining is one of the main risk factors for endometrial hyperplasia, which is why uh, when I talk to clients with PCOS who haven't been having periods much or at all, or certainly longer for their 90 days, that I'm encouraging them to reach out to their doctor to at least shed their lining once every three months to reduce their risk of endometrial hyperplasia, because that is then a risk factor itself for endometrial cancers. So it is very much linked with a lot of these estrogen-linked disorders um, in that family, but the way it presents is is, uh, slightly different. So the question you might be asking, Steph, wow, that is you know, a lot. 
So what role does nutrition play in adenomyosis development and management? So at this stage, the quality and amount of research when it comes to adenomyosis in general is awful. Like it is just such a low amount of research about adenomyosis in general. So then when you layer on top diet, you can imagine how slim pickings we have when it comes to high quality and reliable research in this space. But at the end of the day, what is important to note is that no diet or single food or supplement can cure or prevent adenomyosis. Again, that's not possible if we don't even know what causes it, right? But symptom management can be just as valuable as I've been discussing in my previous series about endometriosis, especially if you don't desire a hysterectomy for whatever reason. So some key principles that you want to be focusing on are very similar to what I talked about in my endometriosis mini series. So adenomyosis 2 is an inflammatory disease. So we want to be focusing on our anti-inflammatory eating principles, which I talked pretty in depth about in uh, that episode. It was episode 49 of season three of anti-inflammatory eating for endometriosis. Just to recap, we want plenty of fresh fruit and colorful vegetables, extra virgin olive oil, herbs and spices, omega-3 rich fish and, uh, fish and seafood, and we want to try and minimize excess saturated and trans fats. We want to keep alcohol uh, minimal and avoid large volumes of added sugars as just a quick snapshot. But I'd really encourage you to go back and listen to that episode because there's a lot more detail and nuance in there as well. And the other half of the nutrition management equation for adenomyosis comes in the form of those estrogen lowering strategies, um, especially if you've got other estrogen linked concerns. I think it's valuable to make sure that bowels are working optimally to ensure that we don't get any reactivation of estrogen in the bowel um, and we're loading up on plenty of those cruciferous vegetables, which I also talked about in episode 50 of the endometriosis mini series. So your cruciferous veggies, as a reminder, are your broccoli, cauliflower, cabbage, Brussels sprouts, kale, and bok choy. Yes, that's the one I'm missing. <laughs> um, so you want to be focusing on those foods. At the end of the day, we don't have amazing research. And so anyone that is coming out with really strong dietary restrictions when it comes to adenomyosis and diet are probably not founded by evidence. However, just like endometriosis, everyone's going to have their own unique uh, symptom presentation and everyone's going to find a way of managing that is personalized to them. So just because I'm talking about these things doesn't mean you personally may not have a lactose intolerance, for example. We need to navigate that. So all those things still apply, but that is individualized and, and not kind of researched on a, on a wider scale at this point in time. I'm hopeful that um, particularly as we see more and more research being uh, done in the endometriosis space, it would be really good to see um, that research being applied to an adenomyosis population as well. So yeah. Now, the final question, which I'll address just briefly, is what effect does adenomyosis have on fertility? And so there is a potential impact on fertility that this condition can have. 
Um, so the first one is very similar to endometriosis. The adenomyosis is, can contribute to an inflammatory environment for egg, sperm, embryo, etc. So if we've got that inflammatory environment, there's there's less chance of things going as optimally as possible. The other component is there may be some change in the receptivity of the endometrium due to adenomyosis, and that can then in- affect the implantation part of the equation. And especially if the embryo is trying to implant exactly where there is adenomyosis, there is potential a structural issue there. And there is also some interesting data around adenomyosis interfering with the process of uteral tubal transport, which as the name suggests, is the process of the fallopian tube trying to move the egg down the from the ovary down the fallopian tube towards the uterus. Thank you, brain, for clicking in there. <laughs> um, so, yeah, there, there's a few potential mechanisms. Again, the research on this is quite poor. However, just because you have adenomyosis and endometriosis, which we know a lot of people have both, doesn't necessarily mean you'll have a hard time falling pregnant. I know we've just talked about all this kind of doom and gloom stuff, but there's a good proportion of people that fall pregnant and also later find out that they, that they have these conditions after, you know, sometimes years after completing their family. So um, just know that just because you've received this diagnosis doesn't instantaneously mean you are quote unquote infertile and you certainly shouldn't be using your diagnosis as a form of contraception if you are trying to avoid a pregnancy. So just wanted to highlight that. Obviously, a lot of people with these conditions do also struggle with infertility. And of course, I encourage you to reach out to your GP and a fertility specialist in your area if you are struggling trying to conceive. If you know you have endometriosis or adenomyosis, you know, and you're under, say, 35, I would recommend reaching out at the six-month mark as an absolute maximum of trying solo, um, just so you can get the ball rolling with additional investigations and other supportive therapies with your team. So that is a wrap on this adenomyosis awareness month special episode of the podcast. It is a topic I've been hoping to talk about, but I really did struggle to find any good quality information about this topic just anywhere, which I think just goes to show that there is just such poor awareness of this condition and that we need to talk about it more. And so I wanted to be a positive contributor and share accurate information as well. So I just wanted to shout out a few adenomyosis awareness resources. So uh, there is an organization called the Adenomyosis Advice Association, which have a website sharing people's stories of being diagnosed with adenomyosis. And there's also some awesome Instagram accounts, which I will leave linked in the show notes for you um, to check out um, that are just awesome support pages um, that share their experiences and yet to find a particular organization that is just dedicated to adenomyosis. It's often in the folds with endometriosis and other such uh, conditions. So if you know of one, let me know. I would love to hear from you. Send me a DM on Instagram at the underscore dietologist or at 
endo.dietitian on my endo platform. And I hope you enjoyed this episode. Now, don't forget, if you are trying to conceive, download the Ultimate Preconception Lifestyle Checklist. It's a super simple one-page checklist that will help you get some clarity on ticking some really sometimes simpler than what you think boxes when it comes to your preconception health. And please do subscribe, follow, leave a rating and review. That actually helps so much to helping us reach more people. So it takes five seconds and it's completely free for you to do. And it really means the world when we get those emails saying we have a new podcast review. So do share the love, share it with a family or friend who has adenomyosis or would be interested in listening to the podcast. And I will catch you in the next episode. Bye everyone. (laughs) 